Well, good morning, BCC. It's so great to see you here. It's really fantastic to, to feel like church is filling up again after the pandemic, and there's so many people in the seats. And also great to see all of you guys online. I've uh, seen lots of familiar names on there, so a really, really warm welcome to you if you're watching on our YouTube channel. Uh, that video was created for us this week by Ellie, our kids worker, and that celebrated some of the things that they were doing in Glow Sunday. Uh, last Sunday. And hey, BCC, don't miss the fact several kids there said that they gave their hearts to Jesus. That's a good thing. It's a great thing. Um, really something to, uh, to celebrate. Um, we're continuing this morning in our E222 series. And uh, as I explained last week, E222 stands for Ephesians chapter 2, verse 22. Um, and uh, that says, in him, you also are being built together into a place for God to live by the Spirit. And last week we looked at in him, didn't we? Uh, And this week we're going to look at you also. Uh, And uh, I appreciate that you might be thinking, well, wow, we're just doing five weeks on one verse and then we're doing a week at a time on different parts of that verse. But I think that as the series unfolds, you will find it entirely justified. In in some ways, I feel like we're not giving enough time, but we'll get into that and unpack that as we go. I want to open uh, this morning with uh, a story from our history, uh, or history in in Great Britain anyway. Um, In September 1943, um, a neurologist called Ludwig Gutmann was invited by the British government to set up a spinal rehabilitation unit at Stoke Stoke Mandeville Hospital in Buckinghamshire. Uh, This invitation came from the British government through the RAF. And what the Royal Air Force said to the British government was that we are finding that some of our young servicemen and crew, when they come back from uh, operational sorties over German-occupied Europe, their planes are getting damaged, and they're getting damaged underneath because that's where a lot of the firepower is coming up from the ground, and that the landing gear on our aircraft is not working properly, and so a lot of these, these planes are basically crash landing back in Britain in the, field, the airfields of eastern England. And what that meant was that some of these planes are coming in and they're bouncing around on the tarmac or on the grass and those servicemen and, uh, and crew are being thrown around inside those aircraft. And what's happening is some of those servicemen are, breaking, uh, are ending up with broken backs and spinal injuries. And so the RAF said to the government, listen, we need something to deal with this. We need something to, uh, to be changed about this. We need a rehabilitation program that can kind of take these young men forward and start to, to turn them around. And so uh, on the 1st of February 1944, Ludwig Gutmann, uh, this neurologist and doctor, set up the first spinal specialist unit in the UK on that day. And he remained in post as the director of that uh, position for 22 years, up until 1966. And his heart was to introduce a program that involved sport, involved sporting achievement for some of these young guys. Um, And he realized very early on, he was a very pioneering man, and he realized very early on that if you've got people who otherwise have got nothing to live for, but you put them into a sporting competition and you say, this is what I need, you achieve, to, I need you to achieve, all sorts of things start to turn around for those minds and those hearts. When you're in a sporting competition, you have community, uh, you have hope, you have ambition, you have an aspiration to win, uh, you, you set about working on your fitness, um, you, you do what you can with what you have. And suddenly your expectations start to turn around. Suddenly some of the things that you were very negative about before are now starting to become things that you want to work on and make a change to. 
Um, so he was one of the first people to realize the link between rehabilitation and sport was an incredibly positive, life-affirming uh, link for, for these people. And what you have to understand is that before Ludwig Gutmann came along, some of these people were being consigned to neglect. They were being put off into institutions, into old people's homes, into even in some cases into mental asylums, and allowed to just gently fade away. But Ludwig Gutmann said, absolutely not. You have a purpose in your life. You need to be picked up and turned around and put in a new direction, in a new path. Now, he faced quite a bit of resistance about this from the existing establishment. Um, just to give you an idea of how entrenched this negative attitude was, some of these uh, disabled people actually slept in their own coffins. Can you believe how negative that is? To actually be, come back from the war, have a spinal injury, and then be told, oh, there's nothing we can do for you, and by the way, you can sleep there. It's just, it's unthinkable. And he took the view, Gutman took the view is, no, I'm changing that. That's not right. Uh, and so he, uh, he started pioneering this work with, uh, with these people. And then, uh, on, I, think, I think the date is on the 29th of July, yeah, 29th of July, 1948, he hosted the, fo the first Stoke Mandeville Games for disabled war veterans. And this just, wasn't just for RAF people, this was from, for soldiers from anyone who had a, a, a disability. Um, and uh, people competed against each other. And that date was the date of the opening of the London Olympics down in London. And so he deliberately paralleled um, an activity for disabled people alongside the main Olympics. And it caught people's imagination. By 1952, the next Olympics, there were 130 international competitors who joined people in Stoke Mandeville. And then eight years later, they, had it, they did it again. And then eight years later in Rome, they actually had a disabled games. It was called the Stoke Mandeville Disabled Games. And it ran in parallel to the Rome Olympics in 1960 of that year. And so what happened was the Paralympic movement got birthed. And it got birthed, and we have the Paralympics to this day. Every time there's an Olympics, we will have, straight after that, we will have a Paralympics. And it's for people in all those different categories of disability, not just spinal, uh, spinal injuries, uh, just all different kinds of people can have access to that competition. And the hope and the excitement and the achievement uh, and the dignity of competition uh, is opened up to them. Now, the reason I want to open with that story is because Gutman had a principle in his heart which is absolutely key to our message today. And this principle was this. You also. You also matter. I am not happy that you are sleeping in your own coffin. That is wrong. You matter. You also belong. You also have a future. You also have a hope and a destiny and something to compete for and something to live for. You are not relegated to the dustbin of history. You matter. You belong. You also. And that lands us in the second of our series, E222. And last week we looked at In Him, didn't we? We opened with the first part of this verse. In Him, you also are being built together. We looked at In Him, didn't we? And in him's a massive, massive two words all by itself. We looked at how in him or in Christ appears over a hundred times in the New Testament. Uh, and we looked, we, I mean, it's too many to choose from, and I threatened you with like a 110-part sermon, but we didn't go there. We just went on one, didn't we? And we looked at, uh, we looked at that verse from Corinthians. Uh, where's that gone? Uh, it, I think it was, uh, yeah, Corinthians uh, 5, uh, 2 Corinthians 5.21. 
Let me see if I can find that from my notes. Um, yeah. You, uh, sorry, uh, let me find it. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Did you hear the in him? And we unpacked that a bit and we had some volunteers on the platform showing the swap of the righteousness of the diamond of Jesus with the sin of us as people and how Jesus confers his righteousness upon us in exchange to become sin before God. And God, Jesus, uh, God then punishes that sin in Jesus and it gets taken away. That was last week. And so this week we're now unpacking you also. And I want to say to you, you also is a deep and big invitation to everyone on the planet. You also says, I am not prepared to let you struggle by yourself. You also asks you to come and be where I am, if I'm in a good place, and enjoy whatever advantages I might have so that you are not on your own and by yourself. When we say these words, you also, we rule out only me, or just us, or I'm all right, Jack, and I don't care about you. And we reframe the world to include you as well, that you would belong in it. You also snuffs out us and them. And it turns it into just one word, us. That's the power of you also. You also is an ethical call for the inclusion of others to be added into the same standard that we would have for ourselves. In him, you also. You also. I want to take us back into the Bible and go right back to the beginning because you also appears from a very early place in the Bible. In Genesis 4, um, uh, Cain and Abel are having their disagreement and Cain ends up killing Abel. And as his blood trickles into the ground, God says to Cain, where is your brother? And, uh, uh, um, and Cain says, uh, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? And all of us around the world and down the ages know full well what the answer to that question is. Yeah, you are your brother's keeper. Absolutely you're your brother's keeper. And don't try and evade it, Cain. We are, we are our brother's keeper and our sister's keeper. Because God's heart, and it starts really early in the Bible, is you also. You also belong. You also are included. You also have a right to life. You also have a right to freedom. And if we forward wind to Exodus 20 and we have the, uh, the Ten Commandments given by uh, God through Moses uh, on, on, on Mount Sinai, we have a framework for a you-also environment and a you-also society where people can live freely because we are obeying some commands and some structures and some statutes that give us a framework for healthy ethical living that doesn't impinge on other people's freedom. You know when it says, do not commit adultery, you know, God's not putting a damper, a damper on things and spoiling your fun. No, he's preserving the freedom of that other marriage. That's, that's a you also statement right there. You also enjoy your marriage in freedom and space. That's what that command means. And so that those ten commandments are about a you also way of living. And if we forward wind to the New Testament, we find that Jesus addresses the you also lifestyle as well very strongly. 
An expert in the Jewish law asks Jesus this massive question. He comes up to Jesus and he says, who is my neighbor? And it's actually a great question. Who is my neighbor? I want you to spot that in the question lies a a question of scope. What the Jewish expert in the law is saying, who is contained within the realms of you also, Jesus? I want to know what you think about that. What's your heart on you also? And so Jesus responds, uh, and he says to love one another with all, you know, to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love one another as we would love ourselves. And then he goes on to preach a parable, a parable which you know very well. It's the parable of the Good Samaritan. And in the parable, Jesus compares two people uh, that the Jews would have considered very much you also people, uh, a priest and a worship leader. And he compares these two people with a person who would be very much considered not a you also person, a person on the outside, a person who doesn't belong, a Samaritan. And he takes these three people on this journey through this story. Um, the first person is a Jewish priest, and he's traveling along the road to Jericho, and he happens to come across a man who has been beaten up and robbed and stripped of his clothes, and he is in a bad way. He needs rescuing. And now, I say that, uh, you know, it, I say happens to go past. Actually, in the original Greek, it says, with God, he went by. And so Jesus is making a point in this parable. Hey, you Jewish priest, God has set you up for a God incidence on your journey. Please, would you have a you also mindset? Because you need to show compassion to this poor person. And the priest does not, very sadly, does not have a you also mindset. He has a me only, I'm ignoring this, I'm walking on by mindset. It's not a you also mindset. And then uh, what then happens is uh, that another person comes along. Uh, it's a worship leader, and he's a, he's a Jewish worship leader. He's a Levite, uh, and he sees the same situation. And we're hoping in the story that he might have a you also mindset as well, but he doesn't. He walks on by the other side too. And, I, and I'm panicking now because I kind of represent the priest in that story, and Kev represents the worship leader in that story, and I'm hoping that we've got some compassion between us, Kev. I really do, because that's a scary story. It's a call to me to practice what I preach and to Kev to practice what he preaches, that we are to be also you, also people. Very important. And then a person comes along that in the story and in the minds of the audience, they would have gone, oh, no, not him. He's not a you, also person. He's an outsider. He doesn't belong. And it's a Samaritan. And the Samaritan expresses and shows a you, also mindset from his place of not being a you also person. And so Jesus is like really making the point abundantly obvious. Those people in our lives that we don't perceive to be you also people are actually behaving in more of a you also way than we are. So wake up is what he's saying. It's a little bit challenging, isn't it, church? I've noticed you've gone really silent. I'm I'm taking that as, yes, it is challenging, Pastor Nick. (laughs) Amen. I do sometimes think that we see you also expressed very strongly from time to time in that relationship we witness between parents and children. We see it really strongly sometimes, don't we? I want to share a story with you uh, about a lady called Shelley who lives in Florida uh, in the US of A. And uh, she uh, had a child... Uh, called Zach in 1985, and he is a child with Down syndrome. 
And uh, at the beginning, the doctors all said to her, listen, he is very unlikely to be able to even walk or talk. We think you should put him in an institution. At which point Shelley said, absolutely no way are you putting my son in an institution. I don't care what issues he's got, he is staying with me. And she started to demonstrate a you-also attitude that we see so powerfully from so many of our parents. And I, I don't know about those of you who are parents out there, but there is something that rises up on the inside of us as parents that, oh my goodness, we will get mad for our kids and we will fight hard for them. And so something happens to Shelley and she says, no, you're staying with me. And she raises this lad and he defies all the odds. He does start to walk. He does start to talk. And he turns out to have a fantastic personality, and he's a great character. And in fact, he has a passion for uh, theatre and drama um, and song and all those kinds of things. And um, he, uh, he, <laughs> he had a, a VHS tape uh, of Greece that he played so many times that the magnetic bits on the tape wore off, uh, and it became unwatchable because he just loved this film so, so much. And then one day, Zach... Uh, goes on a kind of a summer camp with lots of other kids. It was like a mixed camp, so it had some disabled kids and some uh, uh, children with Down syndrome and some other uh, children who are affected and challenged, but also lots and lots of kids who perhaps wouldn't see, you wouldn't see their challenges on the surface, but no doubt they're there. Just a summer camp for loads of kids, and he meets a couple of filmmakers. And he says, uh, he says to the filmmakers, hey, we could make a film, I could be the star. <laughs> and these filmmakers just say, Okay, okay, Zach, uh, listen, I need to just sit you down here. The, the, the chances of that happening are really slim because of your situation and because of the, the mountain you have to climb. And he just said, hey, write me a script and I'll be the star. Yeah. And he's just completely flat and innocent and wonderful about his desire. And something about his heart uh, grabs these two guys and they decide that they will build towards writing him a film. And they do. Their, their names are Tyler Nielsen and Michael Schwartz. And over five years, they amassed the funding, uh, and they wrote a script for him. And in fact, they really went to town on this. Something really grabbed them about it, because at one point during their journey, both of them were out of a job. Um, and uh, I think uh, one of them was sleeping in his car, and one of them was sleeping in a tent. And they were really making this happen for this, uh, young, this young lad, uh, Zach. Uh, and so uh, eventually they returned to Zach and they said to Zach, hey, we've actually got a script for you and we're going to try shooting this film. And he was delighted and uh, he learned all his lines. And uh, he, uh, they, they ended up, basically the long and the short of it was, they ended up making a film about a story uh, with, with, a, with a, this lad who has Down syndrome who escapes from a home for elderly people and then goes on some amazing adventures. And it's a very, very heartwarming film. Um, and I actually highly recommend that you watch it. It's a film called The Peanut Butter Falcon. And, and, I, and it refers to a time where he kind of smears, you know, peanut butter on his face and he's kind of like a falcon in the film. And uh, it's such a super film. It's great. And actually, in some of the scripting, uh, they kept what he says, Zach says, in the film that goes against the script. Uh, he shacks up with this guy who's a bit of a rebel. And this guy says to him, um, uh, now, he's, he's also called Zach in the film, so just a bit easier for him. He says, now, Zach, I've only got one rule, and that, that's you obey me. What's my one rule? And so Zach comes back straight away and says, party? Like that? And it's just beautifully done. It's really, really heartwarming, and I really recommend you watch it. Peanut Butter Falcon. But my point from this story is this. Just imagine for a moment that Zach's mum, Shelley, gave in to those experts. 
and she did not insist on keeping her, him with her. He'd have had no life, and we'd have had no film. She had a you-also mentality. She said, no, you are staying with me, and I'm giving you the best possible opportunity that I can possibly give you with all the strength that I've got. Just like Gutman did for uh, those guys who are disabled because of their war injuries. That is a you-also mentality. I want to open this out into the big story of the Bible. The Bible has an ethical big picture about you also. And God's, it starts with God's heart for the Jews in the Old Testament, that they would be his chosen people, um, but they would be his chosen people with the purpose of reaching everyone around the world with his message of love and inclusion. But as we know from the story of the Old Testament, the Jews kind of made it into just us rather than you also. That's fair to say, isn't it? It became a little bit, we're the chosen people and you guys don't belong. And in fact, they came up with a name for the people who don't belong, and it's the name the Gentiles. And so the Jews saw themselves as the exclusive people of God and the just us people of God, and the rest of the world, they were just Gentiles. In fact, uh, there's quite a handy way that you can summarize that in the Bible. If you wanted to summarize the Old Testament uh, in two words, just us. If you wanted to summarize the New Testament in just two words, you also. Do you get the difference? Jesus came because he has a you also heart. God sent Jesus because he has a you also heart. When God looks down on heaven, from heaven, he has a you also heart about you. We're going to be worshipping again at the end of the service, and we're picking up on a song we sang during communion, and that song has these words, you tore the veil, you made a way, when you said that it is done. And the veil refers to the curtain in the temple which separated the Jewish people from God, except for once a year on the Day of Atonement. But as Jesus dies on the cross, the curtain in the temple is ripped in two from top to bottom to signify that the old era of just us has come to an end for the Jews and the new age of you also has arrived for everyone in the world in Jesus, in Christ. Everybody may now have access to the Father through Christ because of the you also heart of God. Did you know that God is a you also God? He, there's a, in one of the letters to Timothy, he said, it actually says in the verse, God wants everybody to be saved. It is not God's heart for people to be lost to him. And he sends his son for us because he has that you also heart. God is always looking down from heaven on all of us and thinking you also. No matter how far people are away from him, he thinks you also. And this is where Paul's letter to the Ephesians and our E222 verse comes in and has real impact and real reach for us. Because what Paul is saying is he's saying to the Christians in Ephesus that they are now one in the Lord Jesus Christ. They are one body. And that's why when Rivi and I did communion, we, we, we chose that verse. We, we may all be separate people, but we are one body and we share from one loaf because we are one in Christ. Altogether, no matter where we've come from and uh, what our backgrounds are. You know, one of the reasons I love Birmingham is that it's a city where it seems to me that everybody has come from somewhere and yet we're all together. 
And I identify with that. I was born in Zimbabwe, and when I came to this country, to be really honest, I didn't feel like I belonged. And I had this nagging feeling for a very, very long time that I just didn't quite fit. Just was a little bit on the outside. That may surprise you to know that. But do you know what? When I came to Birmingham and I came to BCC, that was just gone in a flash. Because everybody here feels the same way. Everybody belongs. Everybody's from somewhere. But we all belong in Christ because it's a you-also church. We are in a you-also church and you belong. And you are welcome and you are invited. And you matter and your life has purpose. You are not sleeping in a coffin. You are going somewhere in God. Amen. Paul encourages the Gentiles that they are included, that they are you also people because of Jesus, and that there is no dividing wall between them, just as there's no curtain between them and God. And if we rewind slightly, and you'll see this on your version notes, I've included this. In Ephesians chapter 2, slightly earlier back up the chapter in verses 11 to 13, Paul writes this, Therefore remember that formerly you who are Gentiles were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. He's basically saying that the Jews had a just us mentality, uh, and you were considered as part of that in the past. But now, in Christ Jesus, and there's another in Christ statement for you, you who were once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And then he carries on in verse 19. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. That sounds like a great description of BCC. Paul is saying, in him, you also... All you Gentiles, all you foreigners, all you outsiders, all you outcasts, all you overlooked, all you not remembered, you also are being built into a place for God to live by the Spirit. And if we go back full circle uh, to that original question from the expert in the law, who is my neighbor, the answer is this. Everyone is our neighbor. Nobody should be excluded from our scope of who is in the realm of you also. That is what Paul is teaching from this two words in this verse. I'm going to ask the worship team to return. I'm going to share a story with you uh, just as they get ready and uh, you guys just start playing when you're ready. Um, I want to share a story with you about a lady called Liz Lockwood. Now, Liz Lockwood lives, uh, currently still lives, I think, in a rural part of England. And many, many years ago, she became a new Christian. And as so often the case when you start following Jesus, your heart gets changed on the inside and you start having a heart towards other people. And you, ha- you start having a you-also mentality in ways that you never thought you'd have. And she started looking around her neighborhood and seeing what she could do with what was in front of her. And she spotted three young girls in her neighborhood. And they were about 11 and 12 and 13. And so she decided to form a tiny little life group with these three girls. And these three girls, each of them, over the months that followed, they met every week, uh, they prayed together, they read the Bible together, and Liz taught them about her faith. They became followers of Jesus. Each, all three of them became followers of Jesus in this tiny little life group. Uh, Right out in the country, right in the middle of nowhere, no fanfare, no, no massive support from big churches, nothing like that. She just did this thing for these girls. And one of the girls had a younger sister, And the younger sister saw some changes going on in her older sister and put her hand up to her older sister and said, hey, listen, can I come as well? 
Uh, uh, you know, she could, she could see her older sister disappearing into this kind of cool activity every week, and she wanted to be part of it, and she was like, ooh, you know. But you know how sisters can be. Sorry, sisters, if I offend you, but, you know, there can be a bit of rivalry, a bit of tension sometimes, can't there? And the older sister wasn't having any of it at first. But the you-also mentality from Liz Lockwood was sufficient to say, no, the younger sister can come and she can come along too. And so they ended up with four girls in this group, and the younger sister also became a follower of Jesus. And she started to follow Jesus in her heart. And then we had a period of time where the, the, uh, the, this little youth group grew to about eight, but they had no fast, uh, summer festival to go to. And they really wanted to go to a summer festival. And so uh, Liz Lockwood went to the organizers of a festival called Grapevine, and she said to them, I know I don't belong in your denomination, but my own denomination don't have anything for these young people to come to. Would it be possible if we tag along to the next Grapevine Festival one summer? And because Grapevine themselves had a you-also heart, they said to Liz, absolutely bring them along. And so this little group went along to one of the festivals at Grapevine, and they met a man there speaking on the stage in one of the tents, a man called Ishmael. And Ishmael, some of you may know his name, he's a great evangelist and minister and believes in the gifts of the Spirit. And before you know it, these girls are receiving the Spirit and slain in the Spirit and speaking in tongues. And the younger sister learns how to speak in tongues at Ishmael's, you know, Ishmael's summer conference. And she comes back and she's fired up about Jesus and she has a faith and it's bedded in and it's rooted and it's there to stay. And then over the years, what happens is that those two sisters lead their mum to the Lord. And then they lead a younger sister to the Lord. And then you lead a younger brother to the Lord. And it, it takes time, but it happens. Because they have you-also hearts now. Because that's who Jesus is. He's a you-also God. That you belong. That you're included. You're not on the outside. And then, many years later, still, the younger sister meets a man. And he seems like a nice man. Uh, and she invites him along to church. And he becomes a follower of Jesus as well. And they get married, and about three years after uh, becoming a, a, a follower of Jesus, this man decides, I need to become a pastor. And so he becomes a pastor, and that man is me. And that woman, that younger sister, is Chloe. Because we worship a you also God. We worship a you also Jesus. In him, you also are being built together into a place for God to live by the Spirit. You also. You also. Stand with me, BCC. Stand with me, church, this morning. We are going to worship again. But you are a you also people. You are here because you belong. You are here because God has a heart for you and you are included. You have a hope and a destiny. Your life is not being discarded. You matter because you are in a place where God looks down and he says, you also, over you. Just receive that in your spirit, church. Those two words, that's all it is, just two words today. You also. Let's sing. Thank you, Kevin.